Hello, my name's Debbie Evans and I'm UK Columns Nursing Correspondent. And today, well, I'm on a learning curve and I thought I'd bring you something very different and very welcome. Now, allopathic medicine, what is allopathic medicine? I guess I'm an allopathic trained nurse. And allopathic medicine really means Western medicine, mainstream medicine, uh, surgery and drugs. That's what we mean by allopathic medicine. So I'm going to be entering a whole new world today. Um, and forgive, uh, forgive me because I'm sure many of you out there know an awful lot about herbal medicine. I don't, and for those of you that don't, we're gonna start off with the very basics. So as a quick introduction, herbal medicine, as I understand it, is the use of medicinal plants, which is the basis of traditional medicine. And I didn't know it dated back 60,000 years. Um, so it, it's simply extraordinary. And just to put it into context, the World Health Organization estimate that 80% of Asian and African countries use herbal medicine. So doesn't that tell you a lot? So to introduce you and to me to the amazing world of herbal medicine, I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Jane Placker, who is a med medical herbalist. Now, Jane is, is very rare. Jane has some amazing qualifications. She's got a BSc honors in herbal medicine. She's also got a PG cert in nutritional medicine, which is a very unique qualification. And, you know, like my profession, the allopathic profession, there are many who are not aware of the agenda. And I was very surprised to hear from Jane that also in her profession, there are still many who are not aware of the agenda going around on around us. But thankfully, Jane is. So, Jane, Welcome to UK Column. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk to us and introduce us to your world of herbal medicine and how you got into it. Hi, Debbie. Thank you for inviting me to come and talk on UK Column. I'm delighted to be here and uh, to answer any questions you've got about herbal medicine, which is a very long tradition. We've been around since people have been around and since plants have been around. So I think 60,000 years may be a conservative estimate. Wow. I mean, I, I, I'm, I was really shocked, actually, to, to, to learn that it goes back that thus far. And the little bit of research that I have done says that cancer research in 2015 said there is currently no strong evidence from studies in people that herbal remedies can treat, prevent or cure cancer so you can see how desperately the allopathic western world are determined to get us away from herbal medicine and i think i'm becoming a bit of a born again herbie but so what would you say jane because you know we we, we listen to herbal medicine practitioners all over the place but what makes a herbal medicine practitioner where do you go to become one how did you realize that herbs were the way to go because i remember back in my day my granny with all sorts of little little ways that we don't use today did you did you discover things from your from your grandmother and your ancestors i did debbie i learned from my grandmother and i observed around me what worked and what didn't work with my family but your first observation about cancer treatments and research not mentioning uh, the efficacy of herbal medicine well in the words of mandy rice davis they would say that wouldn't they this is what we expect if you're not looking in the right place at the right things you won't find anything herbal medicine's got a long tradition and my grandmother used it and many other people's grandmothers and parents use it and still do especially in Africa where I live for a couple of years and um, I've recently done a, a video on elder ladies in this area the area that I live in and their experiences of herbal medicine from their parents and grandparents and many people are still using those methods today and we certainly are as herb herbalists as medical herbalists before i go on to other questions and 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 to going back 
to more about herbal medicine, let's just take a little look at, because you sent me a little clip of the video that you made. I so did. let's just take a little look at that video now. Um, this clip that we're going to look at is from a local herbalist called Dawn, who has um, her own herbal pra practice and shop in my local area. And she's talking about how herbal medicine is efficacious and how people should use it. Education is key to people's health as well, about what they're eating, like I say. Mm -hmm. And no more, because um, herbs are food. Literally, anything that we consume from plants, it's part of the food kingdom. Yeah. So it's just in the degree and how you take it and the frequency when it becomes the medicine. Um, so if you take it every now and again, it's normal food. If you increase the amount of times and the potent, the amount, the amount of times and the how much you actually take, then it becomes a medicine. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. So that's how I tend to say, oh, but I've been drinking this tea for like you know, a month and it hasn't done any worse. How are you taking it? You're taking one cup a day. Take four cups a day, and mm -hmm. you will see the difference because then it becomes potency in the body and it can make a change where maintenance is different from medication. Wow so but I think what's what that raises to me is these old remedies so often work. I mean back in my day we used to use bread poultices in in hospitals so you know herbal medicine is something is an alternative that perhaps we should all be looking at right now because there doesn't seem to be an alternative and you know that brings me on to the fact that I should tell people now that it's very important that you seek the help or consultation of a trained practitioner you know there are many people out there that uh, think they know what they're doing with herbs but actually if you're mixing different herbs and somebody's already on synthetic drugs, allopathic medicine, it can be a very dangerous mix, can't it, Jane? So I just want you to highlight for me the importance to our viewers of seeking a qualified herbal practitioner, medical herbal practitioner, and where would they go to, to find somebody like yourself? Well, herbal medicine practitioners have a scientific tra training these days. They do a degree level study and uh, for three or four years. And they also have clinical practice. They work in herbal medicine clinics. And you can be um, assured that they're well-trained in all aspects of medicine, including herbal medicine, which of course is the original and not the alternative. If you want to find a herbalist, look at their um, professional bodies like uh, the College of Practitioners of Phytotherapy, where I'm a member, and the National Institute for Medical Herbalists. There are quite a few other organisations that act as professional registers for herbalists. And there are other people that will use herbal medicine within their practice, like naturopaths. I know less about them and don't feel qualified to talk about their practice. You'll have to find a naturopath to come on and talk to you about it. Um, we're all as diverse as we are individuals. Some herbal medicine practitioners who are trained in Western herbal medicine, as I am, will also be Chinese herbal medicine practitioners, which is a completely different discipline. Uh, they may be Ayurvedic practitioners as well, or be able to do acupuncture and other therapies. They may diagnose through iridology by looking at your eyes and making a diagnosis that way. Um, there are many different traditions from many different parts of the world. Um, but if I was looking for a, a herbalist, I'd look in my local area. And if I wanted to study herbal medicine, again, I'd go to the professional registers and see what they offer. There are universities that still do degrees in herbal medicine. Westminster University does. Um, Lincoln University does. And uh, the National Institute of Medical Herbalists supports a course at Hartwood 
which is uh, predominantly uh, online, um, but easy and accessible. It's it's like a uni- um, open university format where you can study herbal medicine. You're very tightly regulated as well. I think it's important for people to realise that um, the MHRA governs you as well as allopathic medicine. Um, do you want to talk Bless a little them. bit about how the MHRA governs you? Right. Um, well, we have uh, we're overseen by the B- British Herbal Medicine Association and the European Herbal and Traditional Medicine Practitioners Association, who have links with MHRA. Um, they've tried to regulate herbal herbalists, but haven't succeeded. There's a lot of resistance within the profession. Um, we're actually a protected um, a protected profession by royal charter because Henry VIII in 1543 wrote the herbalist charter to protect us. Um, people suspect this is because we cured him of um, certain diseases that he had at the time and therefore he felt he must protect herbalists. In different countries uh, you can't operate as a herbalist if unless you're a GP as well. This happens in Europe um, but as we're no longer um, supposedly in Europe then we're not governed by their laws and I think we will remain protected. There was a, a a report in 2015 um, called the Walker Report where they suggested herbal medicine should be uh, regulated by the HCPC, but um, there was a response by the government in 2017 where they decided not to. I think it was too big a task for them. Um, There's also herbal products so you there is traditional herbal registration for particular products and you can find a list of that on the bhma website um things like valerian root extract and uh, senna tablets things that have had a traditional use for many many years and uh, then are made into medicinal um, remedies and sold over the counter but there's not that many of them because of course it's not cost effective or we don't have the money to produce um, over the counter medicines as individuals but we are allowed as herbalists to prescribe remedies designed for a particular patient so a patient will come to us as they'd go to a GP and present with their uh, complaint. And we would give them a very long consultation to look at lifestyle, diet, um, other factors to see how we could support them with herbal medicine. There are long-term conditions that are more or less intractable with um, what you describe as Western medicine. Um, allopathic medicine tend to be um, not successful in treating long-term conditions like eczema, psoriasis, particularly dermatological complaints. And people generally um, are, are exposed to many, many toxins in their food, in their water, and um, live a stressful life and so a lot of our work is to mitigate the effects of modern living really and to support our patients and work with them to find a better healthier way of living. Can I just add too that a lot of your preparations are are teas, herbal teas and, and tinctures but yeah. for somebody that's never experienced um, a consultation with someone such as yourself um we've contacted you we've made an appointment now normally if you go to a gp yeah well if you can get to a gp you have to wait for however long to get in to see them and then you're in there for five minutes and then you're out again and the nhs is constantly talking at the moment about personalized care 
And it's very interesting when we look at personalized care within your um, world of, of herb, herbal medicine, because actually, if I book an appointment with you, Jane, that appointment is going to be about one and a half hours to two hours long, isn't it? Tell us right. um, and all of our viewers and listeners, what can we expect when we're welcomed by you at the door? What will you be asking us? How long will we be there, will we be there for? And actually, too, how much, and I know you can only give maybe a ballpark figure, but how much will it cost for us to see um, a herbal medicine practitioner? Just give us a, a, an idea what happens when we knock at your door for the first time. Well, usually people contact by email or by phone and any practicing herbalist will have a chat with you to find out if we suit each other, if we can work together, if we can help you. We all know the limits of our abilities. And if I heard anything that gave me alarm or I thought there was a red flag when you should see the doctor, that's it. I'd refer you straight to your GP uh, or, or A&E if I thought, thought it was uh, serious enough. So then we'd make an appointment and I would, in the meantime, send you a questionnaire to ask you a few basic questions and get a feel for what um, you're eating, for one thing. I'd ask you to fill in a food diary, a food and sleep diary for a week before we, we met up. And then um, I'd be asking questions about your life, um, your, your GP, who's your primary carer, and I will always defer to. And um, if you had pets, you know, which might be an indicator for allergies and things like that, um, just to find out a little bit more about you. If you're on supplements, what manufacturer what make of supplements, uh, if you're on any medication. And then um, we would be in a position to know how to help you. The actual consultation will take about um, 90 minutes while I go through the systems in your body. Well, what are described by um, medicine as systems. Of course, we're a, an integrated system, a, an holistic system and everything works with everything else. Um, after the 90 minutes, I'd be developing a, a prescription in my head, which I might um, make up immediately, or I might leave a little time and think about, and then I can post out to, to my patients. Um, initial um, appointments will always be face-to-face, and in person. Um, after that, we could do Zoom catch-ups to see how you're getting along with the remedy. Um, you mentioned uh, medication. That that can be a problem. And I would always advise patients to mention to their GP that they are seeing a herbalist. Uh, whether they do or not is entirely up to them. And that's because um, some herbs can react to synthetic medicines and even i'm guessing if somebody's been and consulted you um and then maybe goes and consults their gp at a later time and gets prescribed something else without telling you then you won't know what interaction that medicine's having so there can be potentially some quite serious adverse reactions so i think we just need to reiterate to everybody watching and listening that you know, herbal medicine is a, is a very serious area of medicine and it shouldn't be played about with. Um, and I know that people say, you know, we do this, we take this and we do that, which is fine if you're if you're absolutely knowledgeable in what you're doing. And I think so many people now, Jane, you know, I, I think, did you tell me there were only 20,000 um, herbal medical practitioners in the UK? Was I right no. in hearing that? Or is it 2,000? Yeah, something like that. About 2,000. 2,000. Yeah. Tiny. Yeah. And and di diminishing as well as, as people age in the profession because the, the courses are so expensive to run. Um, there, there used to be many, many courses. Um, when I uh, trained in 
2011, there were quite a few courses across the country, but they've gradually just um, stopped working because they can't maintain the courses, they can't maintain the the student body either. And and some courses now, like acupuncture, I think they have, um, you can get a, a student grant for them, but not for the whole amount of the fees. So people still have to stump up their own money as well as get a, a, a assistance with a student loan. So it's not easy for everybody to study. No, it certainly isn't. And as uh, we're getting more emails from nurses in, within the NHS who are leaving, um, exodus of nurses, many of them wanting to study herbal medicine and of course this whole thing of they can't get a bursary they can't get a student loan or maybe they can but they have to sacrifice a big uh, a big part of their lifestyle you know they've all got mortgages to pay etc is is worrying um can i just take you back to to when we come and see you as on an mm-hmm. appointment would you do tests on us like a, a doctor would send away tests what kind of tests if if you do do any would would you be doing or could we expect uh well depending on the problem you have um i can i'll certainly take blood pressure readings i might um use an oximeter pulse oximeter um i can do urinalysis um and um use a stethoscope to listen to your chest, to listen to your heartbeat. Um, Most things that a GP would do, but we don't do anything that's invasive or um, proctology or anything like that, we we wouldn't do. Um, We can send away for tests and we use professional laboratories to do that uh, for blood tests, screening, Uh, hair analysis, stool analysis, this kind of thing. So, Jane, is there anything, because I I have many discussions with people still um, that have faith in allopathic medicine, and allopathic medicine, although I've said it's Western medicine, the the medicines that we're used to are now slowly becoming or uh, kind of morphing into biological medicines, so that's that's the worrying that's really worrying for me and that we're 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 even moving one step further is there anything that um herbal medicine can't treat because people still say to me oh well you need anesthetics you know you need strong painkillers uh, diabetics need insulin um what where does the border get drawn with herbal medicine it, are there things that herbs just we we can't use for or, or is there something for every everybody but i i understand it's a very personalized system so everyone gets independent and very tailored uh teas and and not remedies i i guess you would call you don't call them remedies do you jane you call i do them, yeah oh you do, do you do call them remedies mm. so how does how does that work um, well, as I said before, we know the limits of our practice. We're not bone setters. We'd send you off to any if we thought you'd got a, um, a, a, a breakage. Um, but I have had um, people come to me and ask for um, remedies to help with healing uh, post um, a fall or anything. And I've said, well, um, yeah, I can give you something, but you must go to the hospital and get an X-ray first. To so we we're very sure that you've not had a crack or a break, and they've gone off and done that, come back, and I've given them um, a cream to use, uh, which is very effective, which has been very effective. But what they hadn't realised was that the um, hospital had failed to um, pick up a crack in their bone so you know there are there are problems on both sides medication can deplete uh, lots of essential essential minerals and uh, vitamins in your body you also if you're on any medication really need to read the uh, patient leaflet which people very seldom do because you need to know the side effects. People can come to me and say, oh, 
I've had this problem, I've that problem, and I'm on this medication. And I will say, well, have you read the patient leaflet? Because this looks very much like the side effects that you have, uh, that are warned about in the patient leaflet. And at that point, I would ask their permission to write to their doctor to ask them to review the medicine that they're on. Oh, Jane, I was going to ask you a question there, uh, a completely different question, and you've just brought me on to something really important, which is the patient information leaflet, because, of course, that's what you've just mentioned. And uh, I know that in, in a bit we'll talk about the agenda, the COVID-19 injection. So for those of you watching that are thinking, is Debbie going to bring up the agenda? Yes, I am. But, of course, with the COVID-19 injection, there was no patient information leaflet. Nobody got a patient information leaflet. Um, and, and that kind of skews the whole thing, doesn't it? Because we must remember that um, possibly this is a sign of times to come. Maybe we're going to be issued um, biological medicines with no patient information leaflet. And actually, if we did have one, would we understand it? So the importance of that um, is huge. Obviously, we know that, um, luckily for us, you are one of the few practitioners that are aware of what's going on and with the agenda. But when you realise that there was no patient information leaflet being given to patients receiving the injection, how did that make you feel as, as a herbal practitioner? Um, unsurprised, Debbie, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I mean, we know that in America, the, the major cause of death is iatrogenic, which means if you go into hospital or have medication, um, you know, they bury their mistakes, basically. We don't know in this country because we don't collect the statistics in the same way. Um, but certainly, um, there's a high attrition rate with the... Um, with modern medicine, um, not our traditional medicine. Uh, but if there is ever a problem or a perceived problem with herbal medicine, it, people um, will, will vilify herbalists. And I, I'll expect a, a backlash from this as well. Because, um, you know, if I have a patient on herbal medicine and then they'll say, oh, I felt terrible after that. And I'll, I'll say, oh, well, what's been happening over the last week? You know, have you, um, tell me a bit about what's happened and, and I'll tell you what I, I think might be the problem. Because they'll initially think it would be herbal medicine that's giving them a problem, when in fact it might be the fact that they've been out on the town for a few nights and not got much sleep. And... Uh, but the, the belief that herbal medicine uh, can be problematic is being pushed by the media. You know, there's a lot of different mythology being pushed, and this is one of them. I think it's important that one size doesn't fit all, which is why we come to people like you for consultations, because we get something, everybody gets something completely unique, depending on their own personal circumstances. Um, for something like um, the um, injection, the COVID-19 injection, the big buzz seems to have been around herbal medicine, pine needle tea. Everybody's drinking pine needle tea. And I think the, the mention of pine needle tea has alerted many people to the existence of herbal medicine. So it's almost become an introduction into herbal medicine. What are your views on, uh, because, you know, everybody's different and those with serious adverse reactions from the injection with injuries are also all different. So I'm seeing most people that are reporting injuries as taking pine needle tea. Is this a one size fits all um, a help, a support, or should we be looking at different things? Because we're getting given protocols so the protocol is A, B, C and D and everybody's following that protocol. But should we be or should everybody that's got a, a medical ailment or indeed is vaccine injured, would you say that they would be should be consulting someone individually rather than taking a, a, a blanket protocol? 
I think protocols can be useful. Um, I have a, a, a general protocol that I use uh, with people, but um, because we don't know what's in this um, jab, it's really hard to to give you an answer because I don't know. I don't know what's in it. I don't know what, what the effects are. I can observe effects and talk to patients about the effects they've experienced. But there are certain things I wouldn't touch with a barge pole, send people back to whoever injured them, whether they'd get any anything back from that. I could make recommendations uh, for particular things. But when you're dealing with myocarditis, that's outside my remit completely outside yeah. my remit yeah and um, i think this is one of the issues isn't it i think this is one of the issues everyone's finding is that they're dealing in the unknown you know nobody mm. knows what's in this injection but to be honest with you not even the doctors know as many people that have followed uh, the work that i've been doing with regards to finding out what's in the injection and if doctors know we know that doctors don't know what's in the injection they've got no clue neither do pharmacists know how do i know that because i've received a, a letter from the royal college of general practitioners telling me exactly that so yeah. we are dealing with an unknown situation i completely get that um one thing that you said to me uh, when we've spoken before which i think is really interesting but also very positive for us here in the uk um, is uh, for, uh, for those of us that are watching and listening in the UK anyway, is that you said that wherever you go in the world and you've been all over the world, you take your herbs with you. But surprisingly, mm. you found out they didn't work. Why was that, Jane? I don't know. I really don't know. There's something to do uh, with the environment you're in, I feel. You know, in the same way that people can apparently catch um, infections at the same time. Um, I think there's something energetic going on, you know, that people share within a certain area. Um, but I found that when I was in different places and I used the herbs from those areas, I had more of a, a, a better result. Uh, but I did consult the people who are qualified in that area so i would speak to local herbalists in whatever area i was in yeah and that's the great thing isn't it about the uk you know that's a really good positive about the uk because like you said you know we are surrounded by herbs you know we've got so much growing on our own islands you know nettles for example as you were telling me yeah. and dandelions and seaweed i mean what have we got around us jane that that is so useful and so precious well, what are we missing well, because we're, we're walking around and we don't look at what we've got around us the majority of us i think people should look in their own gardens if you're lucky enough to have a garden which i don't but i have an allotment um, which many people do and there's lots of community gardens around where people will find um, herbalists working and uh, be able to grow their own herbs that has actually brought me to the next question on on that which was what would be what's in your herb garden what should we be growing you know even in a maybe a window box we can grow something so there's 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 a way for everybody but what would you advise would be the staple diets of anyone's herb garden in in the uk for example well mediterranean herbs yeah Mediterranean herbs are lovely. Uh, I've got elecampane in mine. That's a lovely lung herb. Um, but in a way, herbs are better when they're they're um, they're harvested from the wild because a herb gains its strong phytochemicals by living in an adverse environment. You know, we've all seen dandelions coming through concrete you know they're really strong they'll they'll be here long after we've all gone what should we have in our cupboards well a lot of people have turmeric and things like that just eat whole foods things that your grandmother ate you know onion onions are medicine turmeric's medicine cranberries celery broccoli pineapple cabbage avocados cayenne peppers great for you ginger 
wonderful, good for children, for stomach upsets, for um, motion sickness, you know, if they're sick in the car, chamomile, chamomile tea, relaxants, cabbage, they're good to be used topically or or to eat, you know, eat whole foods, eat foods that's recognisable to your grandmother. Get fresh water. Ah, fresh water. Now, there's a whole new subject. Where do we find fresh water, Jane? Because uh, it's it's getting scarcer, isn't it? Yeah, well, people use different filtration methods. I use reverse osmosis. into my home and then I structure the water as well but we're getting a bit further away from herbal medicine here I also um, have a shielded bedroom so I've protected it with EMF paint and uh, so if I check with my audiometer I know that the EMF isn't as strong in my bedroom as it is in the living room here so wow. we don't know wow. about EMF either. So, you know, better to be cautious, better to protect ourselves, and better that people get in optimum health, that they eat good food, they, they're aware of whenever they're getting stressed. You know, they, they spend time with their families, they spend time with nature, they invest in themselves. That's what's important. Yeah, I think that's really sensible, investing in yourself. There's nothing more important, is there? And also investing yeah. in our children. Um, and, and I think, I just, just want to ask you, is herbal medicine, do you, do you see children? Um, and if so, from birth? Or, or is there a specific age that are children included within herbal medicine? Absolutely. Um, herbal medicine is very good for children. And if you go to a country like um, Switzerland, where Rudolf Steiner's uh, methods are still um, followed, um, you'll find that the German doctors will tend to give children herbal medicine in preference to any synthetic medication. And, you know, it's easy to put teas in a bath. You know, you could uh, have a nice relaxing bath if your child's got um, a skin condition, run oats in, in the bath through a sock and have a nice, um, oats will relax p- people as well. Um, so children can absorb through the skin very gently, a, a, a nice gentle remedy. Um, calendula flowers, you know, everybody knows what marigolds look like. Um, They're a wonderful herb that we can use. We're a nation of gardeners. You know, it's just a a step more to start to look at, well, what can we eat? We can eat dandelion leaves, but people don't eat them anymore. People used to eat good good King Henry and um, other chenopodium brassicas. Uh, but we have too much of a sweet diet now. We need bitters to help our digestion. We need fermented foods. What's a fermented food, Jane? For those of the, those, of, I don't actually. Well, I I do, but tell us tell us what a fermented Cide, food is. Cider vinegar, uh, kimchi, um, kefir, so kombucha. Yeah, something definitely. that's pickled. Yeah. And what's that cabbage um, pickle called? Sauerkraut. That's it, sauerkraut, really good for you and really easy to make. You just cut up the cabbage, put salt on it, put it in a sealed pot, Bob's your uncle. How does that help Very easy to make. It helps your digestion. And all health problems tend to start in the digestion the digestion when things go wrong you can usually uh, link it to digestion or liver problems um you know and the medication modern medication has a heavy effect on the liver as it has to process the tablets um so anything that supports the liver uh, and and the digestion um, and has probiotics and prebiotics is good for you 
But of course, you know, people have trauma and trauma can cause uh, physical problems. Problems are somatized in the body. But again, this is, a, you know, we're wandering off a little bit, but most herbalists will recognize that problems that manifest physically are um, often have their root in, in childhood trauma. So, Jane, um, that brings me on to the next thing. And we look at herbal medicine, uh, or a lot of people are looking at herbal medicine for physical illnesses. Um, but we need to also look at many people in the last three years, particularly, have suffered with huge anxiety, um, depression, and effects on their mental health through lockdowns and coercion and pressure and the tyranny that we've been seeing. Um, and I know that herbal medicines are absolutely invaluable for mental health. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, well, stress can cause all sorts of physical problems. And once you can start to work with people and find out where their stress comes from, help to mitigate that, then you can start to see a, see a clearer picture of what has been affected in their body. Uh, so, yeah, we have loads of um, herbs that will, will help with depressive illnesses. We have herbs that are called adaptogens that will adapt to your conditions. They're marvellous. They're not just one chemical, one phytochemical. There are hundreds, if not thousands, that work in, in conjunction with each other. Um, and who knows how they work? Nobody knows. And would we ever find out? Who knows? Um, but we do know that certain herbs, like um, a painkiller like meadowsweet, is also good for their digestion. Um, meadowsweet has salicylic salicylates in it which as you know um is similar to aspirin unlike aspirin which will eventually make your stomach bleed if you take too many of them uh meadowsweet has mucilage in it and it's a protective medicine for the stomach as well they're just magical really and that's that is is really what is so incredible about this whole new world that I'm now discovering, and I'm sure a lot of people watching and listening will be discovering, because there really is something for everybody, isn't there? There's even herbal medicine first aid. And I mean, I never knew that this existed. Can you talk to us a bit about first aid? Because I think, you know, at the moment, people are scared to go to the doctor. Some are scared to go to the NHS. They're scared even to phone 111. But to know that there's herbal medicine that can help for first aid is absolutely amazing tell us more about that jane well when after i um after i qualified i went to do uh, herbal first aid at, at a festival which was quite interesting um but we can deal with with minor problems and we did have ambulance people on site as well who were supporting the first aid so if there was a a break or anything like that the 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 ambulance crew could deal with that and take people off to hospital if necessary um you notice i'm not giving you specific remedies and i won't <laughs> because it's that's not appropriate and it's not one size fits all we have antibacterials we have um anti so-called antivirals we've got antidepressive uh, herbs and uh, one herbalist i work with she was telling me about treating trench foot uh, with myrrh powder now i have given you given you <laughs> specific but uh, you know she will have mixed that with with other things to ensure that people did not get bacterial infections that the wound was cleaned properly and we would you know do the same same things that Florence Nightingale will have done you know with uh, in caring for people and making sure they were clean the wounds were cleaned and um, they were getting fresh air and cared for 
Mm, I think that's key in all of this, isn't it? It's care. Yeah. Where's the care gone? And, you know, care in the NHS um, is questionable at the moment. You know, it appears to be a very dangerous place to be. And that's by the admission of the staff that were in it. Do you see herbal medicine as completely separate to the NHS? Um, or could you see um, herbal medicine practitioners working within the NHS? Do you think there's any opportunity to merge or at least to complement each other? Or are we really looking at two completely different health systems? Personally, I, I, I don't have much hope for it, but it has happened in the past. And currently there's a dermatology clinic at Whips Cross Hospital um, that works very successfully with, as I said, intractable, intractable conditions. Um, I've, there was a project in Sheffield where um, herbalists worked with a GP and the GP would refer patients to the herbalist when he felt that they would be better served by herbal medicine than medication. Um, I'm not sure of the decision process of the GP. There was a clinic in Poplar that did that, I think in um, Glastonbury as well. There was a herbalist that used to work with the NHS, but they're few and far between. Um, and they depend on activists in certain areas oh i know um in terms of herbal first aid there is um, a bristol-based set of herbalists who are working with refugees and they used to go over to calais to help people in the camps um with health problems um which would probably be sort of respiratory problems wounds uh, women with menstrual problems this kind of thing so there there are some different ways of working with different groups of people um i've worked with refugee groups uh, on local allotments as well to um, understand what they know about herbal medicine as well as to tell them what i know about my indigenous plants as well but, you know, as we said at the beginning or a little while ago, there are only 2000 um, of you in, in the UK. And it would seem, as you were speaking about areas with Bristol, it seems that Manchester is the capital, Jane. Um, so tell us a bit, what, what, what is it about Manchester? I don't know. I think we've got a tradition of, of uh, independent thinking, for one thing. It's rumoured that Shakespeare came up here to avoid paying taxes at one time. Um, yeah, there's there's a, definitely a herbal tradition in Lancashire and people couldn't afford to go to the doctor. Um, you know, certainly in my mother's generation, they had to pay to go to the doctor. Um, so you have to make a choice. Are you going to eat or are you going to take your youngest to the doctor or are you going to use um, the community herbalist or the community midwife you know there's a lot of poverty up here we've got some of the most deprived areas in the northwest um, and it's not getting any better yeah and you know i'm down in the southwest in cornwall very poor area um and clearly at the moment with the state of the NHS, um, with the waiting list, with the way that allopathic or Western medicine seems to be going, we all need a choice, all of us. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, this is, this is the choice. And Jane, we've only scratched the surface today just to try and give people an introduction to the existence of herbal practitioners. And again, my apologies to people if they are very knowledgeable and know about herbal medicine, we were really, um, I've been speaking to Jane for quite a long time and it's taken a lot of bravery for Jane to speak up because, you know, people were not kind to herbal practitioners. They've never been kind to herbal practitioners. And yet for me as an allopathic trained nurse, we all need to really appreciate not just what's in our gardens, not just what's around us, but people such as yourself. And I cannot thank you enough 
for giving us this introduction into such an amazingly wonderful world that I believe we should all explore. And as you know, Jane, traditionally now, I always give my guests the last word. And I know that we're going to we're going to do more interviews if you're happy to, because I mean, really, it's completely new area for me, a whole mine of information. And we all love to learn, especially our viewers and listeners. They're all extremely uh, switched on. So I'm sure they've enjoyed listening to you today. But just to give you the final word, Jane, and my huge gratitude, thanks and admiration to all of you out there who may be still in the shadows, a bit a bit too scared to come out, please, if, if you would like to talk about herbal medicine, if you're a practitioner yourself and you'd like to talk to us, then we would we would love, we would love to talk to you. So on that note, Jane, thank you. I'm sure we'll speak again. And it's your last word. Thank you. Okay. What I will do is uh, exercise a note of caution. Don't go eating <laughs> dandelions and nettles in your garden. Some parts of the dandelion are not edible. But, and I'm sure we've all encountered nettles, so there are certain ways to eat nettles. It's a traditional Lancashire food nettle champ, but we will prepare it with heat so that the effects of the stings aren't there. The one thing I'd like to say to people is, just invest in yourself, you know, get the best quality food into your body. You know, especially as women, we tend to look after everybody else and not ourselves, and we're last on the list. But I believe in herbs. I know that they work, and I know they've got the ability to make you well. They, they are special, and they have... Um, an effect that I can't describe. But if you start to eat more good quality natural food and you extend that into herbs, you will see a difference in yourself. You'll see a difference in your thinking, in your ability to critically think and to be more objective. Yeah. So, you know, do yourself a favor and eat well. <laughs>